Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello, welcome to The Rest is History. And if I sound unusually jolly this morning, it is because today is the last of our 12 or 13 days of of Christmas marathon. A marathon that Tom Holland was entirely your idea. (laughs) I'm delighted that we did it. Yeah, Um, I'm even more delighted that we are now approaching the finish line. (laughs) But what what a brilliant pair of um, uh, anniversaries we have to mark this day. So it's 6th of January. Um, and uh, we've we've been having quite a few downers, haven't we, recently? It's been very um, grim. The Dreyfus case, yes. uh, lots of death, Albert Camus dying. Slavery. Slavery, kind of yeah. Stuff. Um, but today is, um, well, it's it's not a great day, but the, the upshot of it is, is splendid. Uh, and that is the ambushing of Alfred the Great at Chippenham by the Vikings um, in 878. And it's probably today... Uh, the the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle says that it took place in midwinter after Twelfth Night, so um, probably today, sixth of January. Um, and he was obviously Mark, he'd been probably been celebrating Christmas in uh, uh, Great Hall in Chippenham in Wessex. Yeah, and the Vikings, like the treacherous dogs that they are, <laughs> launch a launch an ambush on him. So the the backdrop to this, Dominic, it's a thrilling one, is it not? Um, I don't know. You're going to tell me. Of course you do. You know, you, know, you know this. You I remember make... this from The Last Kingdom, no doubt. And from, and from the Ladybird book. Oh, yeah. So um, There's a fabulous illustration in the Lady book. They've been celebrating Christmas, haven't they? And, and, yeah. Um, so tell, tell, take us so, through so, the... So the, back, so the backdrop to this is the, the invasion of the great heathen army, this oh, yeah. terrifying Viking invasion force that um, lands in 865 and basically just goes around kind of smashing up Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. Is this Guthrum? Yeah, it's Guthrum. Guthrum and, and the is lads. This, is this that fellow in uh, poor that chap in East Anglia who ends up being um, shot with arrows? St. Edmund. Yeah. So first of all, Northumbria gets uh, d- toppled. Um, and then, um, yes, Ed- Edmund, the king of the East Angles, gets captured and shot with arrows, uh, gets beheaded, um, and his head gets guarded by a wolf. And a peasant is going through the wood and... The wolf says, hick, 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 Latin, of course, for yeah. here, here, here. And the peasant goes over and there is the head. I so love that's... a Latin speaking wolf. <laughs> a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and in um, Barry St. Edmunds, there's a wonderful statue of the wolf. Of the wolf, way. not of Edmund. Yeah, there's a statue of Edmund as well, but it's okay, a statue good. of the wolf. Anyway, so, um, so that happens and that's not good. And that leaves Mercia, the, the kingdom of the Midlands, and Wessex, the south. Um, and... Uh, Alfred is the is is the youngest of five brothers. Had never expected to become king, but it's a really bad time to be a king of Wessex at the moment. So eight seven one, Alfred becomes king, and absolutely, you know, the, the eye of the storm. Um, he has a good track record as a warrior. Um, he's you know a seasoned Viking fighter, but he his reign gets off to a terrible start when he gets beaten up uh, at Wilton. The, the town closest to which I, I grew yeah, up. Yeah, Wilson so is very, I mean, this is very much a personal stake in this, yes. Um, so he he gets defeated in his the very first engagement as king and he has to buy the, the Vikings off. Um, the Vikings withdraw to London 
then to Torxey in Lincolnshire, because there's been a, a revolt in Northumbria against yeah. them. A puppet king, they get rid of him. Uh, that's the end of the, the, the Anglo-Saxon monarchy in, in Northumbria. Um, and then 873, the Vikings decide it's time to move in on Mercia. And the king of Mercia is a guy called Burgred, uh, who is closely out. You know, the Mercians and West, West Saxons have had a, an uneasy relationship. But in the face of this Viking threat, they've become quite close allies. Um, Burgred has married Alfred's elder sister, Athelswith, actually in Chippenham. So Chippenham is a, you know, this wedding was a, a kind of marker of, of West Saxon Mercian friendship. Um, the Vikings in 873 move in, they occupy Repton, which is the great kind of burial place for the Mercian kings. And that essentially symbolizes the fall of Mercia. Burgred and Athelswith flee abroad. Um, the Vikings are left in complete control of Mercia. They adopt um, a, uh, a, a, well, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle describes him as a foolish thane. A man foolish thane. A foolish thane. A man called Keolwulf. And, and so there's been some debate recently as to whether he this, this guy Keolwulf really was a foolish thane. Perhaps he was, you know, revisionist takes because coins have been found in which he and Alfred are shown um, as paired kings. But I think he clearly, I mean, I think, you know, th this is a, a, a mercy. This is a Viking puppet on the throne. That probably was a foolish thing to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, so, so basically, uh, East Anglia and Northumbria have by this point have been completely decapitated. Mercia, there is this foolish thane on the throne. <laughs> Alfred is, re you know, Alfred's Wessex is the last kingdom in yep. the formulation of Bernard Cornwall, and the attacks keep coming. So, eight seven five, they move in on Wareham in Dorset, uh, then, then Exeter. Um, probably the only thing that saves Wessex at this point is that when the Viking fleet is leaving Wareham for Exeter, there's a great storm and they all get wiped out. So that's, you know, few for that. But uh, 877, again, a great invasion. Alfred draws up terms. They swap hostages. Uh, the Vikings withdraw from Wessex. And Alfred is sufficiently trusting of this treaty that this, I think, is what enables him to feel that he can celebrate the festive season. Because Christmas is not just Christmas Day; it is the twelve days that follow yeah. Christmas as well. That's all part of the the, uh, the 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 season. And so the Vikings know this. Perfidious, oh, yeah, know, treacherous. And so that's why they launch their ambush. And Alfred is caught absolutely sitting. And this is one of the. I mean, this is a, this is a kind of a seismic moment because if if Alfred had been killed we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. Humanity would have descended into the abyss, well, Tom. That's a big claim. So Alfred's life is the thread by which the survival of an independent Anglo-Saxon kingdom survive. Yeah. If Alfred had died, if Alfred had been killed, uh, the Vikings would have taken over Wessex. I mean, it's yeah. not to say that... Um, Anglo-Saxon civilization would have been completely extinguished, but it's likely that the English-speaking kingdom of England that emerges, yeah. chiefly thanks to Alfred's efforts, would probably not have emerged. So in the long run, we'd be a kind of Franco-Danish society, do you think? I suppose it would be Anglo-Danish, wouldn't it? I mean, but, but you could imagine... Well, the French you know, would have come eventually at some but point. But the influence of the kingdom of England on yeah. British history, on European history, and on world history is so profound 
You think there'd be? I mean, you you seem to imply that you didn't believe there would be podcasts if if well, Alfred had been captured. Well, but but we're doing this podcast in English. We would, yeah. I think, you know, we, and the we're reason that, that and the reason that we can do this podcast and be listened to people in America, in Australia, uh, you know, in in in, in non English speaking countries where English is the lingua franca, it owes a huge amount to the fact that. So there's English, some parallel universe. In some which parallel universe. We're, we're doing spe- this. In which we are massive in Scandinavia. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, we're speaking it in some. We're, we're speaking in some Anglo-Scandinavian dialect. Right. When we and, set and, foot, but, and the, the only people who are listening to us are people maybe maybe in in Mercia and Wessex. No, but I think we're giving when we when we go to our live tours in in uh, Denmark and Norway. Great yeah. crowds greet yes. us at the airport. Ah, oh, right. And the uh, Anglo-Danish Norse, realm of Newfoundland. Right. Our Norse brethren, yes. they're famous. I can't yeah. do a Danish, I yeah. can't do a Danish accented. Uh, I I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> no, I like I'm that. Not try like it. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, who knows what, but, but, but I do think that, that world history might have been significantly different. Because with, without the emergence this, of, of England. Is it, are, are we about to get to the, the, the great moments in Alfred's life are they about yes so, they... so Alfred does escape uh he takes refuge on the Isle of Athelney which yes. is uh, in the, the Somerset levels uh, and is literally an island because at that yeah. point um it's surrounded by, by by marshes and swamps and so he's basically secure there it's famous for uh the story of the, the burning of the cakes yeah uh, and also people who've listened to our episode on St Cuthbert may remember that uh, St Cuthbert turns up as well and uh gets, supplies him with lots of fish <laughs> yes so um, that enables Alfred to hold out. He he sends out um, uh, messengers across Wessex to meet him at a place called Egbert's Stone uh, on the border between Somerset and Wiltshire. Um, he then leads them and they meet with the Viking army at a place called Eddington. And it's a thumping victory. And the measure of how thumping it is, is that the Vikings run away. They um, Alfred besieges them in their camp, presumably at Chippenham. Uh, and after two weeks, the Vikings have to surrender. And for the first time, it's the Vikings who have to hand over hostages. It's not a mutual swap of hostages. And they're forced to convert to Christianity. And Guthrum takes on the name of Athelstan. He does. Not and the Athelstan. Not, not the, the Athelstan. Not, not the champion. But it shows that the, the name is kind of in the ether. Yeah. Alfred served, stands as his godfather. And um, by terms of this treaty, uh, Alfred gets London. And he has recognised that London is the kind of the key to controlling the South. Uh, so he moves in, he fortifies it. Um, you can still see the the outlines of the dock. It's the, the only part of the, the lineaments of the Anglo-Saxon city that still survives. Um, and in due course, uh, a further treaty is agreed whereby um, uh, Mercia, basically, it's, it's kind of like France after in, in 1940, gets divided in two. And you have this line running from the Mersey down to the Thames estuary. Uh, and on the west side of that, Alfred basically takes over. Although, as we talked in the Athelstan episode, he's careful not to to brand it as a West Saxon ta- takeover. His, yeah. his daughter, Athelflad, marries the, the leading elderman of uh, the leading Earl of Mercia, Athelred, and uh, first, and first, first Lord of the Mercians, first Lady of the Mercians. And the Vikings take the other side. And it... Alfred's determination to secure Wessex is what provides the launch pad for his son Edward and his daughter Athelflad in the great year of, of 917 
to launch the the conquest of East Anglia and the Viking half of Mercia. And so we're almost 50 years away now from your original date. I know, I know, but I'm just saying that this is, you know, this is a, we, we, have, we, yeah. we have the moment of darkness and then everything. everything it's a good, it's a great story. It's and story. I know I'm a stuck record on this, but the, uh, the depiction of the, the, the sort of setback, the comeback and the triumphant victory at Eddington or wherever it is in the Bernard Cornwell TV series, The Last Kingdom is splendid. And I can't recommend it too highly. Have you seen that, Tom? Yeah, I have. It's good, isn't it? It's very yeah, it's good. Right. It's, it's, Alfred it's goes up to the top of the hill and he doesn't know whether anyone's going to join him. And then he hears the, the hoofbeats in the distance and England has risen. Oh, it's a great moment, Tom. But it's not, but it's filmed in the Czech Republic, I think. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. No, it did matter because it wasn't Wiltshire. It should, yeah, if they filmed didn't... it in England, that would have been like the car park of an Asda. I mean, but it didn't England look anything is... like Wiltshire. Well, it looked more like Wiltshire. Surely it looked more like no. Wiltshire then than Wiltshire now does. Maybe no, it should look like Wiltshire now. That's. <laughs> It shouldn't look like Wiltshire. I mean, Wilshire no, now is like, in my experience, green. the A303. Isn't it? Isn't that Wiltshire? No nonsense. No. Right. Let us reconvene after the break with Samuel Pepys, my favourite diarist. Well, him and Tony Benn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will reconvene with, with Pepys after the break. See you in a minute. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me. So I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back to the very last segment of our 12 Days of Christmas special. Uh, we're on the 6th of January. Um, Alfred the Great has just been sent running into the marshes of Athelney. Um, and Dominic, now your choice. And we are in 1661. Monday, the 7th of January. This morning, news was brought to me to my bedside that there had been a great... S the 7th of January? Yes. 
Yes. Have have ye of little faith. You think okay. I'd have got the wrong date? Okay. All right. Yeah. Go on. Monday, the 7th of January. This morning, news was brought to me to my bedside that there had been... Ah, uh, how could I have <laughs> doubted you? <laughs> news was brought to me to my bedside. The blue perfect case kicking that, in. That there had been a great stir in the city this night by the fanatiques who had been up and killed six or seven men, but all have fled. My Lord Mayor and the whole city had been in arms, above 40,000. To the office, and after that to dinner, when my brother Tom came and dined with me, and after dinner, leaving twelve pence with the servants to buy cake with at night, this day being kept as twelfth day. Then Samuel Pepys, this is Samuel Pepys's diary, he goes off to the theatre, and he says, And in our way home we were in many places strictly examined, more than in the worst of times, there being great fears of these fanatiques rising again. For the present I do not hear that any of them are taken. So what's happened, Tom, is that the previous day, the 6th of January, the fanatiques have risen in um, in London to try to to start um, an uprising. Do you want to know what happens to them? How it ends? I'll, I'll uh, tell you who the fanatiques are in a second. So Thursday, so this that's Thursday the eighth, ninth, tenth. Uh, uh, Peeps meets his friend Mr. Davis, who's a civil servant. Mr. Davis says the fanatiques have been. Um, They've, they routed all the trained bands they met with. They put the king's lifeguards to the run. They killed about 20 men. They broke through the city gates twice. And all this in the daytime, when this, all the city was in arms. And do you know how many of them were? There were thir- only 31 of them. And Mr. Davis says, we did believe that there were th- there were at least 500 of them because they were charging around the place, but there weren't many. Well, that's a thing for you, isn't it? A thing that never was heard of, that so few men should dare and do so much mischief. Their word was, so their sort of motto was, the King Jesus and the heads upon the gates. Yeah. Few of them would receive any quarter, but such as were taken by force and kept alive, expecting Jesus to come here and reign in the world presently, and will not believe yet, but their work will be carried on, though they do die. So who are these fanatiques who've been rampaging through London? Well, they are the fifth monarchists or the fifth monarchy men. So they're a kind of extreme Puritan kind of sect who have um they've got they've got um they've got going in the sort of sixteen fifties after the assass- after the assassination, after the execution of <laughs> the Charles Martyrdom, I believe. Uh, Capital Loft well, would call it. He would he would say Martyrdom. After the execution of uh, Charles the First. And they've got very carried away because they think that the end times are near. And they have been oh, they've been perhaps over reading the book of Daniel. Um, yes, which, which, uh, as you will know, Tom, I says do. that there were going to be four great monarchies, four beasts pr- come out of the ocean, right? And, and they're the, fourth the four. Beast is the greatest of the lot. The fourth beast is Rome, isn't it? Well, um, during the Judean revolt, yeah. um, yes, they people the the Judeans think that Rome is the fourth beast, but um, then during the seventh century, they think it's the Arabs. Oh, right, I didn't know they thought it was the so Arabs. Basically, they keep having to change it. Yeah. According to which is a superpower. So anyway, the Book of Daniel, people basically have got the this idea that the, there are four great monarchies. One is Babylonian, one is Persia, one is Macedonian, Alexander, and the other one is Roman or Arab or whoever. And then um, the fifth monarchy will be the kingdom of Christ. King Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. No king but Jesus. And this gets this, this becomes very popular in the 1650s with some people in the New Model Army. Um, the 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 chief guy's a guy called General Harrison, General Thomas Harrison, but he's executed after Charles II. And is th- restored. doesn't isn't isn't that the one that Peeps 
he, he watches his execution and says that's right. I think he, he looked does. as cheerful as any man could do in that condition. Yes, yeah, very impressive is, man. Yeah. Uh, um, so the leadership that's a Charing pa- Cross, I think. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I, th- so, I think it, I think it's on the spot where um, where the statue of Charles the First is now. For, is that so? We should have talked about so, this in yeah, our uh, so. statues. Yeah. So the leadership then passes to a man called Thomas Venner. Thomas Venner is a cooper, so he's a barrel maker. And he has spent 20 years in America, New England. And he's returned fired oh, so up. full of all mad American ideas. Exactly. He's, he's Meghan Markle. He's, retur- he's come to England with all his fancy American ideas. <laughs> Causing no matter. End of chaos. And <laughs> yeah, he has just become the leader of the fifth monarchy men. And they are absolutely certain, you know, Jesus is coming. Is, you know, it could, be, it could yeah. be hours away. Hours yeah. away. Um, they're very down on um, Charles II. Second. Yeah. They, their main, a lot of them are sort of new model army veterans. They fought for the good old cause and they think it's all going to waste now. And they meet in a tavern, um, in Swan's Alley off Coleman Street. I don't know where that is, but you probably do with all your walks somewhere in the city anyway. And basically what happens is that, um, they, uh, they decide to launch an uprising. Very foolish. Um, mm. there's only about 50 of them. They start by going to St. Paul's and they go to a bookshop by a man called Mr. Johnson, and they, who he has the keys to St. Paul's Cathedral, and they ask for the keys, and he won't. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't give them the keys. So they break into St. Paul's, and they just sort of rampage around. Somebody says to someone comes up and says, "What are you up to?" And they say, "Who are you for? Who do you support?" And this fellow says, "Well, King Charles, of course." Do you know what they do to him? They shoot him through the heart. Very yeah. harsh. So the the authorities keep sending um, musketeers to sort of dislodge them and drive them off. But the Fifth Monarchy men are so fired up with religious enthusiasm that they're always beating back the sort of the trained bands, as they're called. Um, and then they, and then what usually have, they'll, they'll sort of do a little attack and have a rampage through the city. And then they sort of scuttle off to a wood outside the city. So they're always going to go high gate and stuff, lurking in woods. And then next day they come back and do some more damage. And there's just a series of sort of shambles. And then eventually on the Wednesday, they are sort of rounded up by some king's lifeguards. Um, there's very fierce fighting. Venner himself, he's got a halberd and he kills three men in Threadneedle Street with his halberd. It's amazing, isn't it? They, the yeah, I mean, they're just an absolute ragtag cult, basically. Um, but because sort of nobody knows who they are, and also people have got it into their heads, there's more of them than there are. So people are sort of frightened and run away and they just sort of rampage about. Eventually, General Monk, who is obviously the man who had caused the restoration. Yeah. He, he manages to pursue them and he, they, they make their last stands in two pubs, the helmet tavern on Threadneedle street and the blue anchor on Coleman street. And they're surrounded by Royalists who kind of break, break through and drag them out and stuff. So a lot of them are shot. Venner himself, this Cooper is captured. And that's a, bad, that's a you don't want to be captured. Well, you know what? I mean, he was hanged, drawn and quartered. Yeah. Um, but he obviously was, wasn't sent to Devil's Island, so I mean, it's you know. What would you rather? Would you rather be sent to Devil's Island or hanged, drawn, and quartered? I'd rather be sent to Devil's Island, actually. Yeah, wouldn't I you? Would. Yeah, I mean, you might, get a you might get a pardon. You might, yeah, you might. Emil Zola might take up your little, case and little stone hut. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen to Venner, although. Yeah. Um, and he, I, I mean, a hanged, drawn, and quartering. I mean, that's proper castration. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. So that's what happens to Venner, and he says, according to the writer Tobias Smollett, Venner at the end affirmed. His followers affirmed to the last that if they had been deceived, the Lord himself was their deceiver. 
I think that's a terrible excuse, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. basically all God's fault. <laughs> Jesus's fault. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a, it's it's an odd so, one because, of course, you normally think I, it, what's what's interesting. I like about the Fifth Monarchy Men's Uprising is that uh, it slightly offends our sense of our slightly childish sense of periodization. Yes, because we sort of it. think the 1650s it, is all lunatics and, and religious maniacs and major generals. Yeah. Then King Charles comes back, and it's all kind of you know yeah. dancing and parties. Well, and, it's 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 like the Jacob 1066 and all that about Walter Raleigh being executed for having been left over from the previous reign. Exactly, yes, <laughs> exactly, because they have really have been left over. But the, from the, the previous I think era, the kind of interesting thing about that is that uh, obviously it's it's a kind of um, it's the last gasp of that idea that religious enthusiasm is something that should be acted on, um, even, yeah. e- even at the cost of violence. I, suppose, I mean, I suppose you have the Gordon riots, don't you? Which is, I mean, a terrible explosion of riot, anti-Catholic rioting. Yeah. Barnaby but, that, but, but that idea of a kind of a small group of religious fanatics convinced that they're doing God's will and bringing mayhem to the streets of London. I mean, you, you don't really see anything like that until 2005, the two bombs. I suppose that's true. And actually, the the, the uh, you know this this sense of uh, atrocities occurring around the city—it's very like the um, you know the terrible the terrible night in Paris with the Bataclan, yeah, and people not knowing what's happening and the rumours and the exactly. swirl of it and the yes, exactly, you know, not knowing exactly. you know why are these people doing these terrible things? I mean, what's the yeah. kind of inability to comprehend the, the 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 motivation? And what and what I also like about this is it. Um... Something that's always puzzled me since I did the, uh, the sort of civil war in its aftermath as a teenager is where all that religious and political enthusiasm went. So, you know, people yeah. are prepared to, to fight massive wars, pitch battles, and in this case, you know, attempt coups and all the rest of it. Um, and yet within a couple of decades, it's kind of coffee houses and, you know, newspapers and, and, and something has been the sort of tone of public life has changed and lost its radical energy. Yeah. Um, and I always sort of think I'd love to read something about why, how, how is it that the, that Britain was able to put the civil wars behind it? I think that radical energy is there. I mean, I think the impact of dissenters, which is what they become yeah. because they, uh, Charles obliges everyone to, to, you know, enter the church of England and those who don't, are officially marked as dissenters. That dissenting energy is absolutely profound. But they're not running around with halberds and shooting people through the heart, are they? I mean, they're kind of having Baptist services. They're not, but they're kind of, you know, gearing up to abolish slavery and, I suppose so. you know, play a key role in the American War of Independence and... But there's no doubt the Industrial early, Revolution and, I mean, you know, those energies. I agree, I agree. Early 18th century... Uh, yeah, I agree. England is a much more complacent self-satisfied um i'm not sure quiescent self- place I'm than not it was sure. for, it's, it's, well then it was 50 years of course yeah, it is. yeah but 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 the violence of those energy i mean they, they, they're 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 not turned into kind of military activity but they are really i mean they have a really convulsive impact i think on on the cultural social economic history they do but public public life under let's say i mean if you fast forward a couple of generations to the age of Walpole or something, public life has a completely different flavour from how it did in the exclusion crisis or in the 1650s or something. It does because because the 1650s, you know, it's it's kind of people who make barrels who feel that they have a right to contribute to to 
what the, the state of the nation should be. I mean, that's what changes. It goes back to the, the, the assumption that only great aristocrats should do that. Well, but, you know, but who bubbling we, underneath, bubbling yeah. underneath, these people are getting ready to change the world. Well, do you know who would be good on this? Uh, our friend of the show, Magna Carta expert, Ted Valance. And is who, he by any chance signed up to do he is. execution stroke he, martyrdom? He's going to be Charles coming on to talk about Charles I in the yes. new year. This is a very exciting link for now, throwing forward to all the delights we have in store. We have a, an episode coming about 1922. We uh, have an epi- The crossing of the Rubicon. Yeah. Uh, the execution of Charles I. And further forward, we have, we can, in 2022, we can look forward to the Falklands War, the history of the pigeon. I think you've got uh, <laughs> yes, got that lined up, signed up for that. Um, America's holy wars abroad. Um, Fall of the Roman Empire. Fall of the Roman Empire. We've got all kinds of fun subjects. So keep your suggestions coming. Um, if you haven't already, um, do consider joining up to the Rest is History Club uh, at restishistorypod.com where you can abuse Tom on the Discord chat and request impersonations because you know Tom loves <laughs> to do an impersonation. And uh, we shall see you. When are we seeing them next, Tom? Uh, we are seeing them next week with 1922, the year that the modern age was born, and the crossing of the Rubicon. Splendid. We shall see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Listener.